As I mentioned before, we're uh, heading towards the end of this series called Just the Right Words. And today our focus is on another Psalms. And this week, and as I shared before, and next week, uh, we're going to go through sections of Psalms 119. The other thing we've tried to do throughout this series is take a Psalms, but also connect an emotion that goes with that Psalms. And the emotion today and next week is the emotion trust. And trust is a critical emotion. George MacDonald in the 1800s was a Scottish author and a minister, and he was quoted to say this, to be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. Now think about that, being trusted. To be trusted is greater compliment than being loved. We all know, everybody in this room, everybody at home listening, you all know how critical to every relationship trust is. We've also had relationships, haven't we all, that we love an individual, but we don't trust them. Anybody have a person like that? Don't shout out names, but all of us know in our lives that there are those, we may love them, but there's sometimes a trust issue. And this is what I love about Psalms 119. It reminds us that we can 100% trust God. But Psalms 119, as Nate shared, is unlike any other chapter or scripture in the entire Bible. And just quickly, I'm just highlighting again what Nate said. I just think this is great. 176 verses split up into 22 sections, uh, equally divided by those eight verses. Um, Psalms 119 mentions God's word in nearly every verse. And as you go through Psalms 119, you're going to find not the word Bible, but here's all the words to define God's holy word. Law, statutes, judgments, commands, precepts, testimonies, and then simply word. So many different ways. Matter of fact, if you really want to get deeper into Psalms 119, I challenge you to go home. For example, in my ESV study Bible, it has a whole section on just the meanings of each one of those uh, words, precepts and judgments. I mean, every one of those point us even deeper into the truths of God's word. But what it does is it allows us to see that God is reaching out to us saying, you can trust me and you need to develop trust in me. Because when you begin to trust me, here's what happens. You begin to develop knowledge and wisdom. But more importantly, you develop what? Wisdom. Let me give you an example. Knowledge. The definition of knowledge is the accumulation of facts and data that you have learned about or experienced. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the ability to discern and judge which aspects of that knowledge is true, right, and lasting. How many of you have ever met somebody that is very intelligent, like they have a ton of knowledge, but they don't have an ounce of wisdom? Anybody know anybody like that? I mean, like they're a couple of fries short, short of a happy meal. You know what I'm talking about? There's just some folks like, you are so smart, and yet you have a hard time walking and chewing gum. I mean, what is that issue? All of us know individuals that have so much, 
My, my wife accuses me, not so much of knowledge, but she always says, how much worthless knowledge or not, how much worthless trivia do you need in your life? Never enough. I mean, we all need worthless trivia. There's 118 seams in a baseball. Did you know that? You need to know that. All of us have things in our life like I have knowledge on these things, but yet there's such a huge difference to reach wisdom. You see, knowledge we can gain from so many voices, but wisdom is where we say, I'm listening to one voice. This is it. This is what I trust. Andy Stanley, and I've shared this, this is a few years ago, but it's so good. When you're making difficult life decisions, here's what he says. Ask yourself, in the light of my past experiences and my current circumstances and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? It's not always the knowledgeable. Uh, we all do the list and all that, but when we really are seeking out God, we need to ask ourselves, what is the wise thing to do? So back in the summer, this is hard to believe it's been that long, the summer of 2007 was uh, one of the most memorable summers of my life. Um, as we, uh, we had decided, the elders uh, stepped out in faith, and uh, we had decided we're going to start this project on Kirkwood called the Poor House, uh, a coffee house that uh, square foot uh, was the largest coffee house in Bloomington. And uh, so I was the point person to make that project come around, you know, to develop a team, blah, blah, blah. And those of you that know me well, you know, there's nothing I love more than endless details and lists. I just love details, you know. And I remember vividly sitting with Roger Clark uh, uh, crying. And anyway, I came in the office and I said, man, I'm so excited about this opportunity, but I, I can't even put my kid's tricycle together. Like, I have no idea. And he said, oh, it's way over your head. Way. And I said, okay, good news. He said, you need a project manager. And I'm like, do you have one of those in your back pocket? And he said, no, no, no. You really need somebody to walk you through the process. And he gave me Raymond's Moore contact information. I contacted Raymond Moore. And Raymond Moore sat down with me and he said, well, John, here's how this works. Um, we're going to put where we would love to open up the poorhouse at this date, knowing that that date's going to change, but we're going to do the best we can. We're going to pick a date and then we're going to work our way back. And I'll be the big picture guy. I'll make things keep moving smooth, but you're going to have to take care of the endless details. And so get out a piece of paper. I got out a piece of paper and he goes, right at the top of that list, punch list. I wrote out punch list. He said, you're going to learn what that means. I'm going to tell you what it means, okay? How many of you know what a punch list is? Anybody ever use that? Good. I love it. It is a document showing work that still needs to be done on a construction project. It's a listing of items requiring immediate attention. So you've developed this punch list, like these are the things that matter most, this is what I need to get done. And then Raven and I would meet every week. He'd say, um, let me give you updates on the big picture stuff. People I've contacted, things we're gonna do. Walk me through your punch list. And I'm telling you from that moment on, every day, I write out a punch list. I'm almost strange how many lists I make. I make lists on vacation. Like I get up in the morning, 
and I have at least seven or eight things I want to get done that day. I'm just a blast to be with. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but we all need life punch list. And ultimately, we need to narrow that punch list and say, Lord, in order for me to do the things that you want me to do, help me to do the wise things. Matter of fact, I'd love for you to take a note on this. Uh, Rick Warren has, on, uh, you can check this out on YouTube, has a teaching called How to Respond to God's Voice. And uh, I'll tell you, that has really helped me as I was preparing for this message. How to, how to respond to God's voice. Because don't you agree that in the world we live in today, there's a lot of voices, a lot of opinions. And sometimes the hardest thing in the world is just to step back and take a deep breath and say, God, there really is only one opinion that matters. So I got to get deep into your word. And I got to develop my own spiritual punch list. And I need to ask the tough questions. So we're going to deal with five questions, two this week and three next week. Here's question number one on our punch list of wisdom. Here we go. Does this potential decision, does this potential decision or opinion line up with God's word? Does this opinion line up with God's word? When I was a kid, my mom used to say, I would state my bold opinion, like at age 12, and she'd say, well, John, uh, I, that and a quarter will get you a cup of coffee. I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by a quarter and a cup of coffee. You know, and as I got older, I'd say, what does that even mean? And it's like, well, that's your opinion. And she said, a lot of times you need to start by saying, now this is my opinion. Don't start by saying, this is the way it is, because that's not always the way it is. And uh, I think that's wise. And I think we need to always start with God's word. And you say, well, what does God's word have to do with me pursuing a new job? I think it probably has more than we realize about our attitude, about our motives, about what our priorities are in life. Listen from Psalms 119, starting in verse 100 to verse 104. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I've not departed from the laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey, to my mouth. Let me just pause there. Uh, I remember studying this years ago that when the rabbis would work with young students and they would talk about and teach the Torah, they would have them write a command and then on the side they had little drops of honey and they'd put honey on the page that they were writing on and they would pause and the rabbi would say, now taste the honey and they would taste the honey. And the rabbi would say, so what's that taste like? They goes, oh, it's so sweet. And he'd say, and so is God's word. It is sweet. Verse 104, I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. This is all about wisdom. And wisdom really is like a fruit tree. You can tell how much wisdom a person has by the fruit that they bear. John 17, 17 says Jesus, when he prays for his disciples, simply said, sanctify them 
for the truth, for your word is what? Truth. This is the truth. Now, why is that so hard? Because I got to be honest, I don't care how spiritual you say you are. There are these times in life, it's hard to know what's the right thing to do. And we're seeking God's wisdom. And even when we're pursuing what we know is right, we know how difficult it is to stay on track. That's why we got to constantly and consistently get into the word of God. Let me give you a biblical example, and I think all of us can identify with this. It comes from Matthew chapter 16. The whole section is uh, verses 13 through 23, but uh, here's what's going on. It's the most famous confession in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and Jesus loves to ask questions. Jesus said, so you're all out there. What are people saying about me? And we all know who's going to speak up first out of the disciples. Peter, Lord, you are the Lord, the son of the living God. I think he threw it down just like that, bold. And Jesus is like, Peter, that came from heaven. And John's paraphrase, Peter, that's good stuff. Man, that, thank you. And then Jesus went on to share with his disciples about his future and how he was going to die. And Peter had one good moment, and then the wheels came off. Oh, Lord, it's not going to happen that way. Okay, time out. It's Jesus. You know, he, you're rebuking the Son of God. Um, again, one fry short of a Happy Meal. Peter, no. And what did Jesus say? Do you remember? Get behind me, Satan. Do you see how quickly our thought process can go from right to wrong? We've all been there. What We're headed the right direction, and then all of a sudden, it, it's that quick that we have a thought. Uh, it's that quick that we hear another voice. And that's why God's word is so important. I'm sure many of you have seen, it was very popular a few years ago, the bumper sticker, and it says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I love what Rick Warren said. He said, that actually isn't true. The truth is, God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. And that is the truth. This is the truth. Our opinions and the opinions of others are just that, opinions. But truth is truth. And it's not always easy to cling to that truth. The word of God is our rock. It is our refuge. Uh, recently, um, Mike Richardson worked with me this week and we posted, it's on the West Side podcast, uh, West Side site. And in the podcast, I'm, we're just talking about some of the things that are coming. Uh, but one of the things, we just spent a few minutes and we talked about the predicted changes that are coming through COVID. And there are a lot of predictions out there. Uh, and so here's just three predictions that I think are interesting, three areas. One is education. Uh, this comes from WWW Higher Learning. I spend a lot of time there, higher learning. And um, here's what it says. I love this prediction. Online learning at all levels will dramatically increase. How many of you agree with that? Yeah. Online learning is just, there's going to be a dramatic change in the future in education. Business. This one, uh, this one is interesting, but I have enough conversations with others that, that again, this is my opinion, but it's also the opinions of Forbes magazine, just so you know. Here it is, the ability, predicting for the future. 
is the ability to work from home becomes a recruitment criteria for new hires. That the world is gonna change and more people are gonna be working from home and new employees are going to be, uh, and as they do job interviews, they're gonna be asked, how well will you work if you work from home? How many of you ever thought that day was gonna come? And I believe that day is coming. And then I love a podcast, and this is Corey Newhoff. Uh, he's a, an amazing leadership um, uh, equipper, and he has some of the most fascinating interviews with leaders across all realms. And he's talking about the church. And here's what he says he thinks is going to happen in the future in the church. There will be more virtual and flexible staff teams, and that's going to be the new normal. Number two, digital church is here to stay. I think that's true, too, because of technology. And this is my favorite one. Are you ready, Are you ready to applause? Because this is going to be good. Churches will shift their focus from Sunday to every day. There it is. Because every church in the United States had to learn the exact same thing right after March 8th. And what was that? You can't focus completely on Sunday morning because guess what? You have nine people and a camera. That's Sunday morning. And so all of a sudden, we all had to start being creative, like, okay, what is it we need to do to reach people? What is it we need to do to help people? What can we do behind the scenes? Okay, and you know what? I think there are going to be some good things that come out of that. Here's the second huge question. Will this decision or opinion, will this decision or opinion make me more like Jesus? With all the world changes that are all around us, I'm so thankful for this. With all the changes, we have the word of God and it will never change. Isn't that an awesome thought? That's never gonna change. All around us, we're gonna see changes, but that's not gonna change. Jesus Christ will never change. Psalms 119, as Nate said, 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. C.A. Davis said this, each person should use the word of God personally and habitually so that he may see his way in the darkness of this world. And I love that. It's that you don't just read the word of God for personal growth, but you'd say, Lord, out of this personal growth, I want, I want these holy habits in my life. I want to be able to look a year from now and say, Lord, I really struggle with this, but it's getting better. Not because of me, but Lord, because of your spirit, it's getting better. I'm getting stronger, Lord, because of you. Jesus simply said in Matthew 8, 12, I am the light of the world and we need the light of Jesus. And when we get on our knees and we get in his word and we let Jesus do what only Jesus can do, we will start crossing over from knowledge to wisdom. And that's where we want to be. Let me just close with a text that I absolutely love. And I love it because it's the half-brother of Jesus who saw Jesus as the light of the world, but also saw Jesus up close and personal in his family. And this is what James says in James chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I love this. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, 
but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. But where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. In other words, I can tell you if your motives are wrong and you're going to listen to the voices of others and all the confusion. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of opinions out there and podcasts and everybody has an opinion, okay? And then you turn on the news and that's going to clear it up, isn't it? So what do you got to do? You go back to Facebook and you read more on Facebook because that's where you're going to find the wisdom, right? Please. About two, three weeks ago, I, it was almost a Facebook fast. I, I, it's just, I just make, it just makes me anxious. It just does. I thought, God, I just need to get back to your word. I, I need to get deeper in your word. And it's interesting, the deeper I get in the word, anxiety and stress kind of slowly kind of drifted. I wonder why that is. It's because that's what God promised his word would do. And then he said, here's what's going to happen. The deeper you get in the word, here's the fruit. You'll be more considerate. You'll be more submissive. You'll have more mercy for others. There'll be good fruit. You'll be impartial and sincere. Impartial. It's interesting. Not taking sides. Isn't that a tough place to be? Uh, the Greek word for impartial, uh, adakritos, adakritos, you know what that means? Without uncertainty, undivided, wholehearted, without hypocrisy. You're not, you're not talking out of both sides of your mouth if you're in the Word and you're allowing God to just speak through the Word. And that's where we want to be. Now, is that easy to do? No. Especially in the world that we live in right now. It is so hard to be full of mercy and submissive and have good fruit. Can I just be brutally honest? I'm, probably, I'm going to get in trouble. Is that okay? Can we turn the mic off, Scott? Um, so Friday, uh, Monroe County announced, the mayor, uh, they announced, you know, we made some more changes with wearing masks and some other procedural things. <clears throat> and that came, like, it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I would love to tell you, as I sat across in my living room from my lovely wife, that I said, praise Jesus. I love that. I love the changes. That's good. That's a good thing. I wish, I wish I could say that. You know, had dinner that night with some really good friends, a guy who's been an elder for probably 30 years of his life. And I'd love to tell you that I didn't mention that decision. We talked about that decision. He lived in Bloomington before. And I just sensed God saying, that's interesting you're preaching on this because you're, you're not doing very well right now. And I just closed the Bible. No. I said, God, you're right. And I, I just need, I need to allow you to work every area of my life so I'm not impartial. That who I am on Sunday is the same person I am on Monday, and the same person on Monday is the same person that I am in, a, in the meetings, and I'm the same, okay, I'm striving to be the same person. And who's that person? I want to be like Jesus. I really want to be more like Jesus. 
So for everybody here, every individual, my challenge this week is to seek God's will for your lives in the word and on your knees. And as a church body, ditto. That's what I hope all of us would have. I want to close with this. This is from Margaret Feinstein. Uh, Feinberg, excuse me. She's uh, just a wonderful author. She said, here's what the world needs to see when they talk about Christians. I love this. I would hope people would look at us and say, those Christians, they're the ones who run when everybody else is running out. They're running in. Those Christians, they're the ones who didn't give up on the crumbling inner cities. Those Christians are the ones who put an end to human trafficking. Those Christians, they're the ones who help win the war on AIDS around the world. Those Christians, they're the ones who write those incredible lyrics, pen those unforgettable books, and create artwork that is mesmerizing. Those Christians, They're the ones who helped my mother when she got Alzheimer's. Those Christians are the ones who were kind to me when I was new to this area. Those Christians are the ones that made me want to believe in God. That's what we're all called to be, Christians, living every day on our knees and in the word.